Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, friends. Beautiful people of the internet, Roto World's Josh Norris here with another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast on this rainy, soggy Wednesday. So it's only fitting I bring in the man who's taking on Big Umbrella by himself, Ian Harditz. How are you, buddy? Great, Josh. Came in a little wet this morning, but nothing I couldn't handle. Soggy socks. Ian loves it. Uh, Ian, I do want to start off this episode with, you know, topics that I just love that aren't football related. Um, I have noticed about you in like the six weeks we have worked together that you are a gift maestro, a master. It's like oh. your superpower. Um, take me through the process of how you decide and choose on gifts um, from at Ian Harditz on Twitter, because it's not something where it seems, well, I'll hold my thoughts on it. Just tell me, take me through the process here. Look, man, it's a way of life. It's not something anyone can just learn. You gotta go day in and day out of giftness and, you know, Looking at the funny Twitter accounts, making notes, learning from the best. Do you really? And, uh, do you have a folder? Do you make notes? Do you favorite, favorite gifts? If you go to my like personal, you know, I can slack yourself. Like That's just nothing but gifts that really? I can choose from. So something arises, like today, Chris Herndon pulled his hamstring. Go through my catalog, find one that fits, send her out. Okay, so it's not just me as a plebe of someone who is a gift novice of typing it in the search bar. You actually have these stored up in a storage unit that you can just unveil at the right time. Gotta be prepared, man, in every aspect of life. All right, I love this, <laughs> absolutely love it. Okay, so today's show, it's a beautiful, beautiful one. We have later on in the last segment, Nick Minzio with his bold, notable start and sits. We're also gonna go through Ian's um, taking stock of the backfields across the NFL, which is a column up on Rotorworld right now. Uh, and we're going to hit on four important ones, four meaningful backfields that really impact your fantasy lineups. But as we always do on this Wednesday episode, we start with the Thursday night football preview. And this week, that is the New York Giants at the New England Patriots. The Patriots are 16 and a half point favorites. Um, Ian, there's been some major movement on this line. It started, I believe, at 46 and a half. It is now down to 41 and a half. Part of that due to weather? Oh yeah, weather is out and it's not just rain. You know, we always talk about how there's some rain, not really that big of a deal, but the wind, I mean, the last estimates I was seeing was saying 20 miles per hour plus, so not ideal there. I'm assuming that explains almost the entire line shift. And it might also be that the Giants will likely 
be without a number of very, very talented players. The Giants are 2-3. and three, The Patriots are 5-0. and oh. No Saquon Barkley. No Sterling Shepard. Probably no Evan Ingram, who started practice this week, limited. What chances do the Giants have against this Patriots defense that is one of the top three units in the NFL? And we got Wayne Gallman out as well. So we're looking at the John Hilleman era in the uh, New York backfield. I don't know how they're going to move the ball, man. Like, this is already they're facing – already had their hands full with all those guys against what's looking like anyone's idea of the best defense in the league. And if you remove them, I mean, look, Daniel Jones last week really had his first test of the year against the Vikings. He got set up pretty nicely with his first two starts and, you know, didn't pass it. It wasn't great. And it wasn't all his fault. He does have the second-highest pressure rate among QBs this year, only behind Luke Falk. So O-line could be uh, helping him out a little bit more. But – you know, other than Golden Tate, maybe Darius Slayton. I don't know who's really going to be a factor that the Patriots even got to worry about. I read the rookies on Roto World each week. I'm ranking the rookies. Check that column out. And actually going back and looking at Daniel Jones' game against Mike Zimmer, I was a little bit impressed. I really yeah. was. Looking at the stats, you couldn't have mentioned that to me. You couldn't have convinced me of that. But, you know, we see Mike Zimmer's defense embarrass a lot of other quarterbacks, veteran and rookies. Daniel Jones was not embarrassed at all. Sure, Mike Zimmer loves to cloud the box, send extra rushers, and then just when the offensive line, the quarterback, expects extra rushers, he drops everyone into coverage as well. But there were only about two or three plays that Daniel Jones did not make that if he did, the game would have been drastically different. And I'm not saying that he and Deshaun Watson are of equal talent, right? But we just saw that same thing happen to Deshaun Watson against the Carolina Panthers, missing those two or three throws by a stride, and it was the same thing here with Daniel Jones. And then the next week against the Falcons, he hit them. Now, I'm not expecting that to happen against <laughs> the Patriots, but it does put in perspective that Daniel Jones isn't just going to crawl into a shell when things don't go wrong, yep. right? He's someone that when he makes mistakes or gets a big hit in the pocket, he still is going to fire down the field, and I love that about him so far. He definitely came out and made some good plays. I mean, he's going to have ups and downs. He's, he is a rookie. It was a tough matchup. And, you know, Darius Slayton, another rookie that showed some good things. I mean, he beat Xavier Rhodes for a nice good. little 30-, 40-yard touchdown. I know Rhodes hasn't been quite at his all-pro level over the last year or two, but still an impressive uh, matchup for him. I was digging a little deeper into Danny Dimes' performance just overall and was kind of surprised to see this one trend. So he has been killing it on play action. He's actually one of only eight QBs averaging double-digit yards per attempt on play action passes. Falls out of the top 30 on non-play action. Of course, the Giants have only used play action on the 20, 29th highest rate in the league this season. So Bad coaching. Not, yeah, bad coaching, not doing him any favors, and now they're taking away pretty much every weapon he has. So I agree with you in that even if he hasn't necessarily played all that well on, his, on the stat sheet and the box yeah. score, there have been good things to see. Yeah, that touchdown to Darius Slayton, I mean, he beat Xavier Rhodes off the line. There was a single high safety, which was a post-snap look, and then Daniel Jones basically placed it in there perfectly over an oncoming yep. Anthony Harris. It was awesome. On the Patriots end of this, we know they're dominant. We know they're 5-0. and This is who they've played so far, though. Steelers <laughs> in week one, with halfway through the game, we know that Ben Roethlisberger was lost for the season. Then the Dolphins then the Jets without Sam Darnold, then the Bills without Josh Allen, then the Washington Redskins last week. I mean, the schedule could not have lined up better, and there is a difficult portion of it as we go along. But with that said, it's not like there has been one standout player or multiple standout players week in and week out, week out that we can hang our hat on other than probably Julian Edelman. Yeah, and but the wild part is, like, yeah, their schedule's been ridiculously easy so far, but now they got the Giants. Next week, it's the Jets. The week after, that's the Browns. Then they got out the Ravens. So not really until after their bye week do, do things even start to spice up. So it's absurd how they keep getting 
the league's best schedule every year. But, but despite that, right? Like I just mentioned a whole bunch of teams that they beat up on, to yeah. be perfectly honest, other than the Bills. And there wasn't really production from every single skill position player in fantasy. Yep. So which of those guys are you interested in playing in the Patriots in this week? No, I mean, I think you said Edelman's really been the only guy yeah. that has offered a consistent production. I think we're seeing Sony Michelle get back to being a good running back, though. It's, it took five or four games of awesome game script for him, you know, to bust to only finally get back on track last week. But it was easily his best game of the season. It was. I mean, I, no Rex. No Rex, and uh, that helps. But, look, he was limited the week before. I think even if Rex is back, like, we shouldn't necessarily assume he's going to play this full allotment of snaps again. They want Sony to be the early down guy. That's why they drafted him in the first round, and clearly he's getting every chance to do so. Honestly, I thought the biggest worry coming the season for Sony was Damian Harris eventually kind of unseating him, and the fact he hasn't even been remotely involved is really good news. Yeah, when Rex was out, Damian Harris wasn't even active. Yeah. So that absolutely tells you something. Uh, Ian, are you into hockey? Yeah, go Blue Jackets. Are you a big hockey guy? Not huge, but I enjoy it. Well, for all of you hockey people out there, I need to remind you and tell you that NBC Sports has a new hockey Ooh. podcast. It's called Our Line Starts. Jamie Roenick, Mike Milberry, Keith Jones, um, some really, really good names on that podcast. So if you're interested with the season just starting up now, go and subscribe to anywhere, basically, to Our Line Starts. Okay, let's go into the, since you're talking about the... Hold on, I want yeah, to say one more thing with the Patriots, because... They, they, we're used to Belichick fleecing guys, but this Jamie Collins reacquisition <laughs> might be his best move yet. Let's just go through this real quick. Patriots drafted Jamie Collins 52nd overall in 2013 draft. They then trade him the Browns for a 2016 third round pick. They proceed to let go of Jamie Collins. He re-signs with the Patriots for a one-year deal worth 250K guaranteed. Now, Jamie Collins is PFF's number one overall linebacker, wow. and he has 11 pressures and five sacks because he's also a freak athlete that can get after the quarterback. So just another example of uh, Belichick being on a different level. And we talked about how great this defense is. It's not a defense filled with fantastic names. Sure, Stephon Gilmore might be the best corner in the league, but up front, guys like Lawrence Guy, Danny Shelton, who's a cast-off from the Browns. John Simon has been a cast-off from the Colts and the Texans. Uh, Dante Hightower has had his ups and downs. Cal Van Noy was a cast-off from the Lions, right? So it's a mix of getting guys to play to their strengths and to their talents, which why they were drafted so high at other places, but now including good coaching and just forcing chaos up front. And they're able to do that with free rushers last week with Dante Hightower and Jamie Collins, so on and so forth. It's just, it's, it's a perfectly run unit. Yeah, and they were also able to get a Chase Winovich, what, round three after yep. everyone and their mother, you know, had Rashawn Gary ranked way, way higher than him. And if I'm not mistaken, I mean, Michael Bennett is not even playing that much compared to guys like Adam Butler and um, some other players who have lesser names, but... Uh, it's just a really, really deep team. We knew their secondary was awesome going this year, but to see their front seven playing this well has been, I think, what's taken them to like the surefire top defense in the league. Let's pivot to one of your 17 columns each week, Ian Harditz. That is the taking stock of the NFL backfields across the league. It's awesome. It's very important. If you are struggling to know who to start among backfields or how they're shaping out so far through five games, uh, definitely take a look at this one. Let's start off with the Arizona Cardinals. Ian, we know that last week they got their first win against Cincinnati Bengals, a very, very weak opponent. But David Johnson did not play a full game. His back tightened up, and so that allowed Chase Edmonds to come up with some big plays, and Chase Edmonds is a very talented player. Yeah, so, look, Edmonds had a season-high 11 touches last week. DJ 
played a modest 70% snaps. That's a lot for most guys, but we're used to seeing him more in that 80-90% range. And, yeah, it does seem like this is going to be an issue that could go into this week. Uh, Coach Cliff Kingsbury said that they're going to monitor DJ throughout the week. That makes me think he's going to play just based on how Kingsbury's been pretty upfront with guys like Christian Kirk, Demir Bird in past weeks when he was pretty sure they were going to be out. But uh, we'll see kind of what happens closer to Sunday. I don't know that I think Chase Edmonds is necessarily this like uber talented backup, but no, I don't. But think he doesn't it have to be yeah. uber talented. Exactly, it's like the Wayne Gallman situation from a couple weeks ago because they're facing this Falcons defense that you know we've all seen just always gives up a ton of receptions to running backs. But what's interesting is, look, they've led the league in most receptions allowed to running backs from 2015 to 2018. Dan Quinn era. This year, they're allowing a league low 3.8 receptions to their position. Now, they've really only faced Dalvin Cook in terms of just high volume receiving backs, so that could, small sample size, certainly have something to do with it. But we're also just seeing this Falcons defense just like, be bad. Yeah, they're awful. Like, you can throw the ball to your wide receivers on them now. You don't have to settle for the check down. So um, I don't know that we should necessarily expect Edmonds to get just get overloaded with targets like we maybe would against a pass Falcons defense. But Either way, if you can fire this guy up with 15 to 20 touches without DJ there, like he's going to flirt with RB1, RB2 status. And sticking with the Cardinals, they played the Bengals, like I mentioned, and I thought it was Kyler Murray's best performance since that second half against the Lions opened the season. You see that ru- some of the rushing uses they great. have with him? It was so creative. He's being more decisive. I'm not even saying like this is on Cliff Kingsbury. Like Cliff has still been, honestly, a bit of a disappointment so far. Like He's not scheming anything up, and this was about Christian Kirk. And what Kyler did well, and we hadn't seen him do – for the previous parts of the season was that, you know, there are these quarterbacks like Carson Wentz, for example, who hold that ball for an extra moment, will, are willing to absorb that hit to make sure that the receivers open down the field for a 15, 17 yard gain. We hadn't seen that from Kyler yet. He wanted to work in space and operate in space most of all. He did that in this game. He took a massive hit from Geno Atkins Ooh. and then threw the ball, I think it was 15 yards down the field to Trent Sherfield. Again, Tough when you're throwing the ball to Trent Sherfield and Keyshawn Johnson and all these <laughs> other names. But Kyler is really coming into his own. And sure, some people said, well, that was against the Bengals. One, it's one of 32 NFL teams. Yeah. And now he gets an even worse team defense in the Atlanta Falcons. His start this season, I mean, we didn't really give him much credit for having a pretty difficult uh, stretch of opponents. Lions defense have been much better than we thought. In Baltimore, Panthers have had one of the best secondaries in the league. You know, Seahawks, that's not an easy start in the season. So, no. yes, the Bengals were an easy defense, but it's about time he got an easy defense. It is. Let's go on to the Philadelphia Eagles backfield. Uh, we're also going to talk about Jordan Howard with Nick Minzio later in the show. But right now, let's focus on Miles Sanders versus Jordan Howard. How is it playing out so far? So, big news from this this week. Obviously, Jordan Howard's been killing it lately. We got the, you know, uh, graphic right now on the screen, but he's had double-digit carries three straight weeks. He deserves to get more looks. He's been very good on the ground, running between the tackles, running hard, doing Jordan Howard things. Uh, Made Doug Peterson come out this week and say, after watching Howard, he's definitely a great addition to our team. I do like what Miles uh, Sanders has done. So, we've got a nice mix of guys in the backfield, but you'd love to be able to give Jordan the bulk of the carries. I feel like most people were kind of holding on to that last line a little more than the previous because I still think we're going to see a fairly even committee more weeks than not, particularly because Darren Sproles has a quad injury now his week to, mm. and it's week to week. So, look, I think Howard, like he's going to get his double-digit carries, which is useful in fantasy. Ten-plus touches a game, sure. But we're going to see Sanders now actually have the fantasy-friendly receiving role with the Eagles going the road three straight weeks, and particularly this week, like in Minnesota, this, this could easily be a catch-up game. And, Sanders, some of his receptions this year have been a little fluky. Like, he had those two big plays against the Lions. But yeah, but he was week. used there. Like, I, I remember going back 
and watching those games because Miles Sanders was actually split out wide to start those games. Yeah. And that was when, but that was when the Eagles were without their wide receivers, basically. It was Nelson Aguilar and Matt Collins, and that's it. So maybe that yeah. was the pre-planned usage for Miles Sanders and not something that is consistent. But that was the usage that I kind of was like, I don't know about because it just okay. kind of seemed fluky. But last week seemed more legit. He had a wheel route where, you know, caught the ball in stride 30 yards downfield, mm -hmm. looked very natural. And I forget what Eagles beat writer brought it to everyone's attention, but he had a uh, blitz pickup on a corner where he put the guy in the ground. Like, pass protection is not an issue here. They trust him in that receiving role. And without Sproles in there, like, this now Sanders, like, even though Howard is getting those early down reps, I think the arrow's actually pointing up for Sanders for once. Trust is big, and they are certainly trusting him. He's starting some games. By that, I mean he's getting the first snaps. Yeah. And we hear it a lot of times why players aren't allowed to be on the field in third downs or passing situations because of pass pro. They think Miles Sanders is very good in pass protection. They're using yeah. him a lot in that area. And, like, Corey Clement has not played an offensive snap since week one. So, the biggest issue with that, his He's back, so 2018. Yes, yes. But I'm saying, like, the biggest issue with his backfield has more or less been that we had Howard, Sproles, and Sanders. If we can just get that to Howard and Sanders, we can mess with that. I, I am nervous about a split backfield against a team like the Vikings, though. Because it's a good Vikings defense, and it's also an offense that hopefully doesn't want to throw the football and just wants to, like, it wouldn't be surprising to me if the Eagles only finish this game with, like, seven series, and that's it offensively. And to get two players with production from the running back backfield is, is concerning. I'm almost leaning towards Sanders with the expectation they're going to have to pass a little Possibly. bit. Possibly. So, but it might just be an overall stay away, I hear you. So... There have been some concerns about the Eagles' rushing game, but not so with the 49ers. I mean, it's been maybe the best unit in the NFL. We saw on Monday Night Football, Matt Breida open with like an 80-something yard touchdown. Just insane. So the spark good. God. I mean, he, that 20, what, is that 2017 class? Is, yeah. is outstanding. <laughs> Just go down the list. It's incredible. But then you got in Telvin Coleman who came back, and it seemed like he ran ahead of Raheem Mostert. Yeah, so if you look at just the final box score, it looks like we had a three-headed backfield because Coleman played 34% snaps, uh, Breida was at 34, and Mostert was at 32. Uh, but the thing was, five of Mostert's seven touches came with eight or fewer minutes left in the fourth, like after this game was well in hand. Right, so, when the Browns were down by 40 points. Exactly. So it was Tevin and Matt pretty much the entire game. And if we're working with a two-running back committee in San Francisco, like that's awesome. We've been dealing with three the last few weeks because, you know, professional vulture Jeff Wilson – was just, you know, bursting on the scene every time they got inside the five-yard line. So he was a healthy scratch, so good to see there. The one interesting uh, nugget we'll have to monitor moving forward is Kyle Juszczyk is going to be going to miss four to six weeks with his knee injury. Obviously, great player. It's going to hurt their run game efficiency, but maybe we see two more, uh, more two running back sets hmm. without him involved because he does have a high snap rate, and I don't know if they're necessarily going to be putting wide receivers on the field for that spot when they could just add another one of these running backs that they have so many of. Yeah, I mean, use check is so interesting. Because, did you ever watch his, his tape at Harvard, by the way? Go, go do it after this. You have nothing okay. to do this week. <laughs> um, he was used as an H-back, basically a wide receiver in the slot. Fun, fun, fun player. And that's why he was one of the most highly paid fullbacks in the league. I, I remember when they gave him that contract, how Shanahan did. I mean, he, he's like a Swiss Army knife, right? He's a lot of yeah. tools. And so his mobility and tenacity as a blocker might change how this running game succeeds, like we kind of talked about with Pat Devlin and the Patriots a little bit. I'm not of the opinion that just because you lose one fullback, he's not irreplaceable, and this running game is going to take a step down. But even last year, when they didn't have all these talents like Tevin Coleman, a healthy Matt Breida, which he is right now, last year this running game was a top-five unit. 
This year it can continue to be this way, and it's most important, like you mentioned with Jeff Wilson, not vulturing those touchdowns. Matt Breida got an opportunity inside the 20 and scored. Who knows if Tevin Coleman is going to be that vulture now, but I'd much rather have those two names, like you said, than all three names. Yeah, and like as you were talking about Juszczyk, the things he can do in the receiving game, obviously Shanahan continuously takes advantage of that. Breida had the backfields only three targets last week out of the running back. So if we can get someone of the receiving floor now for Coleman and these guys, right. that'll just help. The only issue is I don't know how much of the game script we can take away from that game. So yeah. this week against the Rams, it should be probably a lot closer. For sure. Let's close out this segment with the Kansas City backfield. Still stays muddy. Uh, Damian Williams, LaShawn McCoy, and Daryl Williams. It certainly seemed like the latter one, and Daryl was the one who saw the sideline the most. And Damian Williams and LaShawn McCoy split it, and they do face the Houston Texans this week. So Damian actually worked as more or less the alpha back in this game. He has 54% snap rate. He had 13 of the backfields, 15 total touches. So they really weren't using the running backs much. They only had, like, I think 11 total rush attempts as a team. So kind of a fluky game, I feel like, to an extent. We saw Shady with a 22% snap rate and Daryl Williams, 22%. Andy Reid said after the game that Shady's limited playing time had to do with his problems in pass protection, and he also did have a fumble after a long screen. So this is kind of like what we talked about last week, though, going into it. Like Shady has been taking the early down role because it's you know, a complicated offense to get him up to speed with. I'm just not convinced this is the split we're going to see moving forward because – this resulted in 13 points. Before this game, the least amount of points Mahomes and company had scored in the game was 26 since he became a starter. Like, yeah. the floor we've grown used to for them is just insane. And I don't, like, they want Damian Williams to be a starter. I think Reed feels like he deserves to have that chance after, you know, being in that role all offseason. But at the same time, this guy's got 31 carries this year, 57 yards, one touchdown on the ground. Receiving, he's got 12 catches for 102 yards. Like, at some point, you got to look at what running backs are kind of giving you the better efficiency and better production. I'm not saying Damien's just going to be cast aside or anything, but I'd be very surprised if he continues to work as the outright bell cow if he's not producing that much. I'm just excited to watch this game. I mean, the Chiefs versus the Texans, I'm sure we'll cover this one in the preview podcast that we do on Thursday with Daigle, Pat, and Hayden. But, I mean, you might get Tyreek Hill back this week. You have how Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller combined without even having a big DeAndre Hopkins game. This could be a similar matchup to what the Chiefs and Rams were last year. This year, it's the Texans and Chiefs, and I'm really excited for so it. So quick note, this isn't on the backfield, more so the Chiefs. I saw a cool, uh, I think it was Next Gen Stats or someone like that, but they brought up the point that uh, Matt Eberflos, the Colts defensive coordinator, most zone-heavy defense in the league for, since he's been there, but they switched that up and ran like 80% man coverage against the Chiefs last week. Right. I'm assuming because there's no Tyree Kill there to kind of force them out of that. Do you think that's something that like the Texans or someone else could replicate? Well, I think it's much easier to play man coverage when Tyree Kill and Sammy Watkins are not. Exactly, there. yeah. So, no, I, I think that that was kind of a blip on the radar here. Okay. I'm sure other teams will try it, but I don't think the success will be as good as it was last week. I agree, especially once they get those weapons back. Again, that was Ian Harditz's look at taking stock of all the NFL backfields. Go and check that out up on Roto World and also the injury dashboard. Injury dashboard, super important. Let's now head over to Nick Minzio's corner. Start sits, notable, bold predictions that Nick gives us. Nick, let's start because you want to start him. Curtis Samuel this week against the Tampa Bay Bucks in London, 930 Eastern. Very interested to hear why you're intrigued by Curtis this week. Yeah, I mean, Kyle, Kyle Allen's only thrown one touchdown over 64 attempts the last two weeks. Um, that's plummeted Samuel to wide receiver four territory. But if you look at things a little deeper, Samuel's 11th in air yards, um, averaging over seven targets per game on 90% of the snaps. All that suggests a breakout on, is on the horizon for him. So 
I like this offense to break out against the Bucks. Um, Tampa Bay is 22nd in pass defense, DVOA, 28th in fancy points allowed to wideouts. Um, no team has surrendered more catches or yards to receivers. Teddy Bridgewater last week just lit this defense up for 314 yards and four touchdowns. Michael Thompson, Ted Ginn combined for 13 catches, 217 yards, and three scores in that game. Um, Robert Woods had his big slump buster against the Bucks two weeks ago. I mean, everything points in Samuel's direction to be to have a breakout here real soon. So, I like this spot for him. Um, both of these teams are top half of the league in offensive pace and bottom four in opponent plays per game. So, forty-eight point total has has a chance to has a chance to go over in this London game here. Yeah, Samuel. Even I mean, he went for five catches, ninety-one yards against the Buccaneers in Week Two. And watching that game, like if Cam had just been a little bit more accurate, that easily could have been a hundred fifty plus. Or if Darrell Williams just didn't absolutely suck in that game. <laughs> I mean, he lost the game for the Panthers. It wasn't Cam Newton. It was Darrell Williams. It, this, Curtis Samuel is like Will Fuller to me. Like, he is too good to be this quiet for this long. A blow-up has to be coming. And it does seem like even if this Panthers offense or Kyle Allen's a little less pass-happy, like, Curtis is locked in as their field stretcher. Nick, what I'm nervous about is Kyle Allen. I, I think that people have this perception of Kyle Allen because they watched that game against the Cardinals and he threw four touchdowns. Right. He's kind of been abysmal the last two weeks, to be perfectly honest. Like, he's done enough to allow the Panthers to win, but it's not because of this passing volume or passing success that he's had. If it's not a quick read inside a structure, he's someone that is breaking the pocket. He's someone that is running into the back of his offensive linemen. And, Nick, what I'm concerned about is that he's only looking deep if it's a pre-snap read. Like, if it's a single high safety, then he lobbed one up last week to DJ Moore. I'm sure you know this. And he lobbed one up to Curtis Samuel on the, on the right side. The DJ Moore one was completed. The Curtis Samuel one was not. And I, th- I still think Curtis Samuel is extremely talented. I don't want to drop Curtis Samuel anywhere. In fact, I want to scoop him up because it certainly seems like after this game, then after the bye week, Cam Newton comes back. He's going to be great when Cam Newton comes back. I just don't know if Kyle Allen is good enough to even get more than one wide receiver involved, and right now that's been DJ Moore. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's, it's more of a game manager situation here with Allen. Um, like you said, you, you made a ton of great points there. I don't, I don't think this is going to be like a huge game by any means, like Will Fuller type situation last week. But I think there's enough here to go out after Samuel as a wide receiver three with some upside in this spot. The other start you're recommending is Stephon Diggs against the Eagles. Nick, you are going hard on these players that have. <laughs> Uh, really not performed so far this season, and I love it. Uh, Stephon Diggs, again, is facing the Eagles. 23 targets, 16 receptions, 253 yards, and one touchdown in five games. That was like one game last year, Nick. So tell the people who are concerned about starting Diggs why they might want to this week. Yeah, I mean, a, a huge fantasy disappointment at this point. Diggs is the overall wide receiver, 58 right now, has one 100-yard game and one touchdown. He had a touchdown taken away from him a couple weeks back, but... Either way, it hasn't been good. Um, has seen four targets or fewer in three of five games. Another data point against him, but the Eagles are number one in run defense. So this looks like a spot for OC Kevin Stefanski to dial up a heavier dose of run of uh, pass plays. Philly is 27th in passing yards allowed and 29th in fantasy points allowed to wide out. Falk led Jets last week, didn't do anything against the Eagles, obviously, besides throw touchdowns to their defense, but. Devontae Adams busted his slump in week four against this defense with 10 catches for 180 yards. Um, Marvin Jones on a six-catch, 101-yard, one-touchdown performance on the Eagles in week three. And both Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley went over 100 yards with touchdowns in week two. And then Terry McLaurin in week one should have had over 200 yards and multiple touchdowns against this defense. So 
this defense has shown no ability to stop anyone through the air, and Dix and Thielen are running the vast majority of the routes on the outside where the Eagles have been lit up. So if there's any week for Dix to bust out of his slump, this is it. So, I mean, I could see him getting the squeaky wheel treatment this week after yeah. Thielen got it last week. What I'm a little concerned by, Nick, is that we've already seen Stephon Diggs against bad defenses this year. Like they opened against the Atlanta Falcons, two receptions, 37 yards. Uh, the New York Giants last week, three receptions, 44 yards. Um, luckily, he gets another one this week. And sure, maybe the Falcons in week one weren't what the Falcons are now in week six. Uh, just like with Curtis Samuel, like this is a super talented player who's just kind of being let down by his quarterback who can only rely on one wide receiver right now. But there will be a Stephon Diggs game. Just hopefully we can predict it. And I, I'm with you. I, I think it really, really might be uh, this week. Let's go to your first sit. Again, you, these are all in Nick's start and sits column. Check that out on Rotoro. There's a number of names. Joe Mixon at the Baltimore Ravens, a Ravens defense, Nick, that isn't as good as it has been in years past, and that's an understatement. In fact, they've just been bad. So why are you off Joe Mixon against Baltimore? Yeah, as you just alluded to, the Ravens are number 24 in run defense, DVOA, and 21st in fantasy points allowed to running backs. However, I think this is more of a get-right spot for Baltimore's run defense than it is a stay-right spot for Mixon after he's coming off that 109-yard performance last week against the Cardinals. Didn't score a touchdown last week, has one touchdown on the season. Um, the Bengals are massive, 11.5-point road underdogs. The Ravens are number one in time of possession and number one in opponent plays for game. So I just don't see how Mixon's going to accrue volume in this spot with the with the Ravens just dominating the ball, dominating time of, time of possession against this awful Cincinnati defense. And then when the Bengals do get the ball, uh, Mixon's going to be running be running behind one of the worst offensive lines in the league. So I, I mean, you're playing Mixon at your own risk here. Hmm. Like Diggs, he's a, a he's a big uh, disappointment um, as a as a as a second round fantasy pick in summer drafts. But I just don't see how you run this guy out there. He's overall aren't running back 41 right now and has PPR. Um, not a lot. Not a lot of things in his favor in this spot. Yeah, Mixon definitely. I mean, just. Seeing the way their offensive line has performed this year, he has not had much help from anyone on the offense. Obviously, John Ross no longer even taking pressure out of the box. whole lot of problems there in Cincy, but at what point do we just kind of got to embrace the volume here? Because he does have 15 combined carries and targets each of the last four weeks. I don't really know who else they're going to feed the ball to other than Tyler Boyd in this offense. It's not like we've seen Giovanni Bernard have this awesome role behind him. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you, man. It's not the best spot, but, I mean, would you say he's more of like a RB3 almost this week? Yeah. I, I do feel like he is getting a good amount of volume. Yeah, like like I said, I'm like, like I'm going to write in the column. I mean, it's hard to fade this volume, but I just don't have high expect high expectations. I mean, he's going to have to score a touchdown to be anything more than an RB3, and I know running back's not particularly deep, and Mixon has one of the safer volume floors, but, I mean, just the yards and touchdowns haven't been there yeah. for him. Earlier on the show, we talked about the Eagles' backfield. Nick, you're also sitting Jordan Howard this week against the Minnesota Vikings. I will say Jordan Howard, three straight games of 11-plus carries, five touchdowns in three games. Even people who have Jordan Howard on their roster probably don't think Jordan Howard is a great talent, but those numbers probably scream to them to say, hey, start Jordan Howard. Why are you wary of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to preface this by saying I don't think I, I don't think you should flat out sit Jordan Howard, but I think we need to temper expectations over him. He's the overall RB5 over the last two weeks, um, one of the hottest backs in the league with four touchdowns in that span. Um, Darren Sproles is now hurt with a quad strain um, that could lead to a couple more touches for Howard, but they also could just throw Corey Clement in that position. Just going to have to see uh, Howard's been on close to 50, 50% of the snaps the last two weeks, um, but the game script doesn't figure to be as 
as much in his favor as it was last week against the Jets when the Eagles were winning by three touchdowns plus. Um, he also lit up the Green Bay's uh, bottom five run defense two weeks before that. And this and this Vikings defense is so much better than those two. Um, they're allowing the fifth fewest fantasy points to running backs, number two in run defense, DBOA. Um, they just stamped out David Montgomery two weeks ago, held him to 21, held him to 53 yards on 21 carries. Um, Josh Jacobs and Devontae Freeman have been eliminated by this defense. Um, I just it's just a touchdown or bust proposition here for Howard for me. He, he offers nothing in the past game. I saw zero targets last week, so if he doesn't score a touchdown, I think there's a good chance he uh, finishes below RB40 this week. Nick, thanks for taking time for us today, buddy. Uh, again, all of you out there, go and check out Nick's start and sit column. As you can tell, he doesn't tow really the majority line here. He, he wants to dive a little deeper, suggest some plays, some fades that other people won't. So go and check out his start sits. Uh, and again, go and check out Ian's injury dashboard. Go and check out Nick's uh, taking stock of all the NFL backfields. My rookie rankings, why not? And I also want to thank all of you. Thank you for leaving us reviews lately. They've all been positive. Um, and if you haven't yet, Thomas or Jordan or Matt, Vince, Jessica, James, go and leave us a review. <laughs> Tell one friend. We appreciate you. We'll actually be back tomorrow with our nine-game preview episode. That's with Hayden, Pat, and Daigle. I'm Josh. That's Ian. Talk to you all soon. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.